The views and opinions expressed by guests on the TWBC podcast are solely those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views of nor constitute an endorsement by the host, TWBC or the advertisers. National Championships, Confederation Championships, World Championships, major professional events. For over three decades, he has been there for many of the sport's greatest moments. And now he brings you even closer to the movers and shakers in the world of high echelon tournament water skiing. From the founder and creator of the Water Ski Broadcasting Company comes the TWBC Podcast. And now here's your host, Tony Lightfoot. Well, greetings and salutations to one and all. This is the aforementioned Tony Lightfoot, and this is the latest edition of the TWBC podcast. Uh, great to uh, to have you on board. Now uh, we're uh, we're getting ready for the Swiss uh, Pro Slalom uh, coming up uh, within uh, within hours now uh, of uh, of this recording, and uh, one of uh, one of the uh, the great boat drivers that we'll have in play uh, for for this uh, competition and uh, and an in demand boat driver for a lot of events uh, that take place uh, across uh, the pro scene. He is none other than Will Bush. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Tony. How about you? I'm doing excellent. Excellent, as a matter of fact. And another thing that uh, that many of you probably know about Will Bush is he's the man behind D3 skis. Is that correct? Well, I'm certainly there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. So let's get cracking a little bit here. Uh, everyone, everyone's got a backstory. Everyone's got uh, their own origin as to how they uh, they got into the sport of uh, of tournament water skiing. So, so what's yours? Well, I um, I started skiing when I was quite young, but I was a competitive uh, wa- um, uh, swimmer. Wow! I was a competitive swimmer, and I swam for the first you know, probably fifty years of my life and it was that same thing in the pool every morning just like out practicing every morning and uh, and so I love the water I love being around the water and when I was about 15 or so I started building car engines and loved engines and so it was like a natural kind of move towards uh, you know playing with boats and skiing and all that had a girlfriend who had a boat and her father gave us the keys of the boat we went out and started skiing every day oh excellent excellent and uh, so so far so so far as what you did uh, did for work, or what I mean, what you're doing for work is uh, is basically uh, D3 skis. But uh, you were involved in the aviation in- industry for a while, weren't you? Well, actually, I was I was involved in the, my last real job. I worked for Arnold Schwarzenegger in California, and I ran part of state government for him. Oh, okay. So you know, we all have kind of interesting different lives. So a lot of people think of me as being D3, and my background is in engineering and so I never in my life really got to do a whole lot of of design and build and that kind of stuff so D3 gives me that opportunity to actually have some fun and I'll ask you a little bit about D3, but you mentioned uh, the former governor of, uh, of California. You, you need to tell me a little bit more about, about what it was like to work for him. Well, I, uh, I was doing some work, and uh, the, the administration asked me to come in and consider taking a job working for him. And I was yeah, less than thrilled. I, you know, I was really wanted to, wanted to take summers off and go skiing and, you know, kind of enjoy, enjoy life as we all do. And and so anyway, it's hard to tell the, the, the Terminator no. And even when I did want to leave, 
near the uh, last part of his term, he told me, Bill, you got to stay. And I said, Governor, I haven't had a year off. I, I want to go skiing. And this was early May, and he forced me, he didn't force me, but he convinced me very convincingly that uh, I ended up staying till October, so I missed that summer too. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So uh, so that's a, that's an interesting story, and we'll, we'll probably never know the full specifics of it, but, uh, but there you go. There's a lot of good stories there, let me tell you. No worries, no worries. So, uh, you're in. You've been involved in water skiing for for what now? How many years? I don't know. I was, I was wondering about that. Is, have you been in there longer than I have? We started looking at each of us. We've been around a long time. Add yeah, it, add it all up. I've been around since 1980. Uh, j- just to put that one out there. What about yourself? My first tournament was 74 five-ish in a jump event and then it was more 79 80 when i really got seriously into tournament skiing so around uh, the mid 70s i mean you were skiing around uh, yeah like wayne grimditch and mike ciderhow oh yeah McCormick and what what were those cats like to ski with oh they were awesome mike mike is always an awesome guy i mean he's he lives not too far from me and has always been up at chest in fact one of the first times i ever learned to jump was on his ramp I had no idea what I was doing and he had it set at six feet and he wasn't there and we went out he said yeah go ahead and use the course and I go flying over this thing these tips about come around the top of my head of my jump skis (laughs) and I crashed big time Uh, but uh, anyway Mike Mike's a great guy and and uh, you know he's been such a, a big help over the years but Bob and Chris, they obviously were on the West Coast with us until, you know, Chris moved to, to Florida. And Bob, of course, is in, you know, the Tahoe area. So been around a lot of great skiers over the years. Indeed. And you involve yourself a lot with some of the current great skiers. Uh, but but in another capacity, uh, uh, boat driving. So uh, given how long you've been in the sport, I mean, you must have gotten into the boat driving long before cruise control and long before the boat path or... Uh, uh, alignment software and the and GPS, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, back 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 in the day, and I'm not a guy that says back in the day. I don't like to look in the rearview mirror. I like to look through the windshield. You know where we're headed. But yeah, back in the day, everything was hand driving, and you know, so you were not only steering, but you were making sure that the times were always coming in. You know, and jump. I got to tell you, it was pretty thrilling when you were pounding that throttle down, and the guys going to the ramp, and they're flying 200 feet in the early days uh there was a big thrill there so along came speed control and it kind of took that part of it over now as you said we have rtk gps which is giving us some pretty accurate nice tracking and then more recently i've actually been testing uh auto steer so been, i tested some auto steer as part of the usa towboat tests a couple years ago and we we uh, drove it and skied behind it and then one of the manufacturers was out at my site about three weeks ago and spent three days kind of doing r&d so we have in you know, the future to look forward to there's a point where i'll come off the dock assuming i'm still doing it and uh we'll end up just pointing the boat down the course and it'll take over we're, we're chief computer operator yeah i can yeah i can imagine i can imagine that day i'll actually kind of shudder a little bit with fear with the with the automated steering and that kind of stuff so so i mean for those that aren't completely uh knowledgeable on what's going on uh, i mean when you were test 
testing the auto steer it, it, do, it doesn't do like the complete lap around the lake it, you just you line up the boat you hit a button and then the gps kind of takes over right exactly you kind of pull it online and we have the pre-gates of course and you line it up there and it engages and takes over and i gotta tell you the first time i was ever in the boat and i had the two developers there and one guy sitting on his laptop and he's coding it's like take your hand off the wheel and i said i don't think so he said no no take your hand off the wheel and so it's one of those things that it's going to take a while for us to be comfortable that we can trust that the technology will work and you know i gotta say we're in the early days but with you know folks like elon musk and others that are working so diligently and trying to get auto steer to really work um it'll be here at some point you mentioned Elon Musk. How how involved is he in the, in the sport? <laughs> you know, I have not run across him. There there are many interesting folks who are celebrities that have been in our sport, but I've never ever run across Elon. Uh, one of his um, folks who was on his board who tried to convince me to actually be involved in the early days of Tesla, and he was quite active. He was a state controller of California, Steve Wesley. Um, he was always you know, talking the praises of Elon and Tesla and where it was going. And uh, I probably was an idiot. I probably should have jumped in there and, you know, at least owned a, f- a couple of shares. Yeah, I would. I would have liked to have done that. Uh, done that myself. I think anyone right right now in their right mind would have wanted to get in Tesla early. But I mean, we think uh, actually talking about Tesla. I mean, Tesla. Tesla. For those of you guys know and haven't been hiding under a rock for the last few years, is basically an electric-driven car. And one or two boat companies have have, exper- have experimented with with electric-powered engines. You know. So so how close w- would you say are we to to get into that point where we take the internal combustion engine out and replace it with electric? That's a great question, especially everybody's going green. And I know there are places in Europe people have talked to me about where uh, they can't run gasoline engines or internal combustion engines. And they'd love to have electric because electric boats are allowed on those lakes. So it might even grow the sport. But I can tell you, you know, I did have the opportunity when Nautique put their boat together, the first electric boat. We used it at Masters and we did a head-to-head and and I pulled Andy behind it with that boat. Um, And I think the the real um, question there is going to be twofold. One's going to be the longevity or, you know, how long can I run this boat with the current battery, you know, charge? Because it's about 50 minutes right now, isn't it? Yeah, and then you come back. I mean, you and I can ski and then you pull back in and we charge it up and you and I BS on the dock about what we did or didn't do skiing and then we jump back out and we ski again and then i think the other uh challenge is going to be the weight of the batteries Mm -hmm. you know it's great in a surf boat you know obviously more weight the better but you know in a ski boat we start loading it up with how many batteries so that's going to be the technology i'd love to see some kind of solar recharge or a quick recharge or something all right and uh, we yeah so we so we mentioned uh, you actually mentioned the masters uh, a little bit with the electric boat uh, let, let's try let's try and go a little bit deeper into your involvement with the masters because you've been involved uh, with uh, uh, as a boat driver at the event for for how many years now 20 uh, something 20 plus years now 
So it's uh, it's been obviously it's the pinnacle of, of the sport. You know, everyone, um, drivers included, want to go to the Masters. So it's been such a great event. And, you know, you look at the people throughout, you know, history that have been Masters champions and they truly are the greats. Do you still get that letter from Nautique at the beginning of the season or do they just assume that you're going to be making your way there anyway? Um, both. More recently, <laughs> yeah, more recently, the letters have turned to, to electronics. So it's been an email or a phone call. And it's like, are you, you know, are you willing to come back this year again? Um, so it's been great. You know, this last year we brought, um, we obviously we had a year off because of COVID. This last year, Mario came in and Mario's done an excellent job at coming in. And so at some point, you know, my job is to mentor new people coming into the sport and find the next guy that replaces me when it's my time to go. Sounds like uh, from the from the tone of your voice a little bit that that that's going to happen a so, sooner rather than really really later down the road. Well, you never know. I mean, there's always, as the saying goes, it's always great to have new blood in the sport. You know, new ideas and everything that we do. You know, I try, I like to be a skier first and a driver second. Well, I mean, I love to drive, and so you know, coming to an event like the Swiss Pro is awesome. You know, ma- the uh, the world's last year was was an awesome awesome event, um, but to that end you know i also you know want to go ski the the world championships in in france this year the 35 plus worlds and i've you know i've made a habit of skiing those every year and or every other year whenever you know we can so you know i love to ski so you know you love to drive but i love to ski and there's just something about skiing too that just gets your adrenaline going no doubt and we certainly look forward to seeing you out on the water in the the over 35 world championships uh but back a little bit to to, to the masters i mean every every skier out there speaks of the challenges of actually skiing on robin lake with the backwash with the openness of the site what are the challenges for the driver well you know it's one of those things that conditions are always changing and some years the water's higher and some years the water's lower obviously the water being lower is great the wind can come off the pavilion it can come off one side or the other the wind can come across and then you get the errant rollers that are just you know kind of bouncing here in there ultimately you know we try as drivers to be as uniform as we can so all you know whatever backwash or bounce you might get but from a driver's perspective there are times out there when it gets windy and it gets quite bumpy and it gets a bit challenging so i love having you know sure path there or, or tk gps because it really does help me you know better understand where i am and i'm not relying on my wife for example or somebody else at the end you know looking at my end course and saying you know bump a little here bump a little there but it is a challenge i gotta tell you were you involved in all that craziness with ski fly back in the day i was i was yes well, I, bet, I bet that was a jolt to the system, 45 mile an hour, 100 foot line, you know, and, and, and an engine that just just wouldn't quit, huh? It was not only fun doing that, but we also had to test those boats. And so we would test them and get out there in those boats. You're talking, you know, 7.4 liter, uh, you know, engines that'll just run your socks off. So when we were testing them, I looked out one day, we were testing uh, a Malibu actually out on, on our lake for 
for the Malibu Open for Ski Fly. And when we got done, I looked out, and there's my wife, and she's running up and down the lake with a big grin on her face, just eating it up, loving it. But, yeah, being in the boat with Ski Fly, you go by that ramp at about 45 miles an hour, and it goes wide open throttle to 60, and that guy launches by you. And, you know, if they don't go 270 feet, it's not a good jump kind of thing, you know. But, uh, and then, you know, to top it off, I, you know, we did ski fly in those earlier days and it kind of faded away. And then in 2015 or so, uh, we did the, you know, the Mastercraft Throwdown. Uh-huh. And so I was the chief judge of that event. And that thing, that was thrilling, too, to watch Freddie go 312 feet. Um, and that was a live event, wide world of sports. And we did numerous interviews or, or discussions with ESPN before the event, Freddie and I. And they said, here's the deal. You're going live. And you guys will either look like heroes or you look like zeros because if it falls flat on your face you guys are done and so to that end we're standing on the shore they said we were going live at 352 at 350 the the uh, wakeboarders finished up their show the boat swung around the back of the jump ramp and heads back to the dock and we see the jump ramp floating free they're down in the hole they're starting up Elaine's in the boat as the judge Les is driving and I'm looking at a jump ramp floating and we're going live television John Carter, who is a TC, runs out there. Luckily, we had two lines in the water for the ramp. He runs out there. I run up on the total station. He jumps up, looks at me. He comes out of the water, looks at me. I put my hands up. We're good to go. Freddie's coming around the corner. Freddie goes, I would have died if I known that I was coming out of ramp to go 300 feet, and you guys are out there tying the ramp back on. Oh, my word. But, you know, when you look at an ESPN, nobody ever saw it. No, I didn't see it either. I mean, I watched I watched that thing. I, I taped it. I put the video up and everything, you know, and I, I didn't I didn't realize. He, even my good friend Jay Bennett, who, who was there on site, didn't tell me about all of that. Oh, no. There's a lot of backstories to a lot of tournaments that people just don't know about, and they come off looking quite well. And that's what we got to do with our sport, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know? that, that, that's, why, that's why we have these podcasts, really. Exactly. Seriously. So we could tell all the backstories. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely, we could go on for hours and seriously, but uh, but you mentioned Les Todd, you know. Uh, I mean, some some people out there will probably consider that there's a little bit of a rivalry between you two, so far as so far as who gets to drive what and who who gets who gets what events and that kind of stuff, you know. So is there ser- is is there a serious rivalry between you and some of the dr- other drivers that you mentioned? You mentioned Les Todd, Mario Bragosi, you know. Uh, Ricardo Botas out there, you know, and, and amongst the mix as well? Well, you know, I'm sure it's like with skiing, right? It is, as skiers, we always have our, our favorites, you know, our favorite little rivals or whatever. But, you know, in my mind, it's all in great fun. And our goal at the end of the year from a driver's perspective is to do what's best for the skier out there. And I've always looked at from the standpoint, put the guy in the boat seat who will do the best job for the person at the other end of the rope, the person that's at the handle end. And so our job is is to encourage that. And my job, you know, I mean, in the early days, you know, you're always pushing, you want to drive an event. But in my later days, I think we all mature a little bit. And I think we try and become more mentor-like. And so my job, I think, in these days is to find people and get them, you know, into the sport and get them to improve. Because if we don't, you know, it's not about us. It's not about 
me, it's not about you, it's about how do we grow our sport and how do we make it better and how do we get more people into it and how do we encourage people, you know, to, to ski and to build lakes and to, to drive and to judge and to do all those things, you know, uh, at the end of the day. Do you still get ju- just as much of a thrill uh, towing a, a girls one slalom at skier in the Nationals as you do towing Freddie Winter slalom in at Swissboro? You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because somebody was talking about that recently and I said, you know, I recall an event two years ago and it happened to be, I, it was, it was at Broadside Harbor where we had the nationals one time in Idaho. And I had boys one, (laughs) boys one. And, and, and it was one of those things that took me back because, um, Al uh, Rucker and I pulled the very first boys one and girls one event at Picos's place in 1991 and so it kind of took me back but it was one of those things where the challenge I'm as challenged trying to get absolute perfect boat path with a boys one skier as I am with you know a Freddie or a, a Nate or a Will or anybody for that matter because they still pull you about at about 21 mile an hour don't they <laughs> <laughs> well you're right and sometimes it feels like the boat's kind of floating around anyway and you're trying to search for where am I supposed to be in there so it's it's a tough job and i don't care what people say oftentimes drivers who don't have the experience will want to pull the very best and sometimes it's just every bit as challenging and as rewarding because at the end of the day you know you pull you know a a women's one event versus pulling an open men's event and the women's one will come up and give you a hug and say thank you that's the best ride ever the men's they're they're looking for their cash yeah that's a bit of a jolt to the system driving drive those little kitties you know when the end time starts with a two instead of <laughs> in, 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 <laughs> in, instead of a one but uh, but yeah i mean uh, mean me moving forwards i mean we've got uh, the swiss pro coming up i mean we've got uh, uh, nearly 40 of the almost 40 of the world's best slams gears out there so kind of what what what's your feeling going into this event i mean how 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 does someone like you at the elite level of tournament driving prepare for, to uh, to take on the challenge of uh, making it fair for everyone out there well i think part of it you know we it, it's like boat driving is like skiing you have to you have to practice you got to be in the seat you know and you really do have to spend the time and for like me clint for example is asking how was winter well winter i spent you know week and a half in mexico and then back another two weeks in mexico and then skiing at home and then to Mumba. you know which if you talk about challenging conditions you know masters being challenging Mumba. now you're talking a river current wind and and uh a tidal flow so dodge the refrigerator yeah exactly dodge that car coming down the river um so um so a lot of that is is making sure you know that you've done what you need to do before you ever get get here in the first place and like i said i just for me uh it's you know aaron uh, uh, davies just spent you know a week with us and you just did an interview with him earlier today but he spent a week with me you know or or brian detrick or others you know i just make sure you're out there in the boat enough and get to enough events and get around so because at the end of the day as a skier i want to make sure when i'm out on the water whoever's driving me i feel comfortable i don't even have to worry about who it is i I shouldn't have to worry about who it is and that's my goal is to make sure whoever's out there behind me they're focused on what they're doing so they can do their best indeed indeed and uh 
I mean, we, we've got we've gone uh, deep into the weeds so far as driving is concerned. But let's touch upon some aspect, other aspect with, with you in terms of uh, water skiing. We, we touched a little bit upon your competitive uh, activities, uh, driving and that, that kind of stuff. But let's turn our, our attentions to one of the top uh, tournament water ski manufacturers in the world, which is D3. Tell us, tell us how you how you got involved with the brand to start off with and how it's kind of transitioned a little bit from its previous owner to uh, to where you are today. So um, I've skied the majority of my skiing career on Kidder, KD, and then D3. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I, you know, we all try different things from time to time. And, you know, I had the EP Stiletto and a few other, you know, great skis at the time that you really have to ride. Comp one. Comp one. There you go. EP, <laughs> comp one, comp two, yeah. orange and yellow. <laughs> the comp one was blue and blue and orange or something, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, red and blue. Red and blue. There you go. So, um, so you know, skiing with uh, Kidder forever, and in about 2003 or four, Denny kind of said, you know, hey, you have an engineering background. You've been skiing with us forever, and you like doing this research and development kind of stuff he goes how would you like to do more of it because i'd like to go fishing and hunting someday (laughs) just like you know i'm talking about how do you you know how do we develop people over time so you know in 2005 more or less denny and i started together and he did 100 percent, and i did you know i was the onlooker and as time has progressed um denny has turned that over and said hey you're the guy today um you know, you do you do the work. So that was probably the last 10 years, you know, I've been involved for the most part in doing that. And nothing more gratifying, especially coming from an engineering background, to take an idea, you know, a concept of what you'd like to do, be able to actually sit down a computer and actually program it into CAD and see if you can create that. You know, and then to actually cut a mold and then you're chomping at the bit to get the skis built and then to build it and then to go ski it. Wow. It's just awesome, you know, to be able to do that, you know, from concept to actual realization. Well, that sounds well, that sounds uh, immensely exciting. And uh, D3 is probably. Probably the only free event brand out there, isn't there? There's slalom, there's trick, there's jump. What are the challenges in trying to to stay relevant for each of those events? Because each of those events has an entirely different dynamic. I mean, I mean, most of the people listening to this are slalom skiers, but building a trick ski is a set, is a, is another set of skills, and then jump skis don't even need, get me started on that. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, and and so you know when. When I got into this, I mentioned Denny. Denny, you know, people have asked him what his secret was to designing skis. And I think the most relevant thing he's ever said is he listens to skiers. He listens to skiers and he says, what what would you like this ski to do better? And, and, and in many ways, there are people who try and tell you how to physically design it. But in, you know, for the most part, from a designer's perspective, it's better for you to tell me, 
I'd like this ski to roll a little more or less roll, or I'd like this ski to slow better into the turn, or I'd like it to cast better, or my jump skis. I feel like on my jumpers, I'm able to turn them and they turn well, but then they don't hold edge through the wake and into the base. Or a trick ski, you know, the trick ski feels poppy, but as I land, you know, coming out of a flip or something, I feel a little unstable, you know, or the tip or something. So our job is to listen to that and then ensure that we, um, you know. Sounds like one of your skiers is calling in Yeah, now. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you, I, I grabbed my phone, at least it's not mine, but uh, it is. that's one thing my wife says, your phone never quits ringing. I mean, just constantly. So yeah, I've been I've been trying to get this uh, podcast up and running running for ages because you've probably seen my name up there on on there. To, I wanted to do a remote podcast, but I'm so glad that you're here doing this. Uh, we we talked about slam skis, talked about trick skis, talked about jump skis. One thing that occurred, I mean, and this this was going back to Kidder back in the day. I mean, they they had so many so many profiles, so many shapes. I mean, I mean, take for instance the red line and the hammer. Yes. And uh, one that red line suited Sammy right down to the ground. The hammer suited probably one skier, and that was Carl Roberge. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that must have been a great time back then. It, it is, and and to that end, we kind of went from a couple of different skis back then to kind of almost a single threaded approach in the '90s and early 2000s, and more recently, I don't know if you've noticed, but we actually have three slalom models that are all top of the line, and they're all brothers. When people say which one's better, neither. I mean, they're all exactly the same, but they're designed for different skiers. Mm-hmm. You know, a skier who skis, you know. Up over the middle of their ski and is very balanced and likes a nice carving ski, likes one type of ski. The which skier, is? Which is more of the Ion 2. Ion 2. Yep. And then the skier who likes the, the, you know, turns hard, loads up, gets a lot of cross course and slows down well and turns hard at the next buoy, you know, something like the Neo. And the Neo is our newest design out. And then between that, we have a, a Energy R2. And that, that's a nice ski. It's very well balanced, very stable. Um, it gives, you know, an easy up out of the water. I mean, I've skied all three of them. And sometimes I'll mount up, you know, my reflex plate and jump from ski to ski to ski. <laughs> and, you know, which one am I skiing today? Uh, but, uh, yeah, as I say, different strokes for different folks. And we're not all the same. I mean, we just don't all ski the same. And and as a coach, you know, when I've been down coaching down in, in Acapulco at, at uh, Gordon Rathbuns, you know, you can't make everybody fit your mold. You can't make them fit your mold from a ski perspective, and you can't make them fit your mold from a, from a coaching perspective. You got to find what best works for them. Indeed, indeed. And as you as you produce these skis, I mean, there, there are a number of challenges out there, but especially challenging the last couple of years, you know, with COVID and all of that kind of stuff. And the watchword on everybody's mouth, it's supply chain issues. <laughs> what, what, uh, how has that affected uh, someone like you at D3 in terms of actually getting the materials needed to make the skis? Yeah, supply chain has big, been a big issue. And for the most part, on the, 
skis themselves, it's not been as big a problem. But those things that we get, especially from overseas, we've had containers sitting offshore. We can't even get the container unloaded. And we're sitting there, and finally someone will call us up and say the container's at the port. We'll go down and pick it up because we just cannot get some of that stuff. But the, the COVID has been really interesting because I think like a lot of people, like the car companies, early on, you know, in, in March of 20 and April of 20, when everybody started cutting back, I don't think anybody anticipated what you know, as a population we would do because of COVID. And what we found out was everybody went, well, a lot of people went skiing and they bought boats and they bought motorhomes. And it was one of the best years ever for ski sales. I mean, it was unbelievable. And so we were having a as difficult tr problem with supply chain issues as we have with labor because labor as you know has been you know there's a labor shortage out there people are having to pay more wages you know and and to that end you can't build skis if you don't have people so it's been you know it's not only been a supply chain issue but it's been a labor issue and uh you know but Luckily, we've been pretty good about meeting demand, but it's not been without its challenges, as you mentioned. And I mean, uh, I mean, just to give us a sense of 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 your manufacturing process. I mean, and, um, I mean, the uh, where where is your manufacturing uh, base? We're we're near Seattle. We're in Auburn, which is just south of the Seattle airport, about twenty minutes. Mm -hmm. So the nice thing about being there is because Boeing and others that you know use a lot of carbon and epoxies and others. You know, everybody is close. There's a a lot of manufacturing there and so that's very helpful you know to that end uh to get to get uh get product produced all right and uh and up, up there up there in the northwest i mean i mean how have, have you been able to maintain a lot of your workforce up there uh, from uh, between before covid and uh since covid yeah, we've had, you know, we've had uh, our, our shaper, as we call him, you know, he's uh, he's been with us for quite some time and been, you know, a great employee. Um, Tong, he's just, you know, he's there is no one like him. And when I want something produced, uh, he produces it. The thing that's amazing, you know, and as I tell people, you may or may not like to write our stuff. I hope you do, you know, but if you don't, we're probably the most consistent pro uh, company out there. If you buy a ski from us, the ski that's sitting right on the shelf next to it is identical to the one that you just you know just bought and if you need a ski you know after the fact we'll always provide it to you you know essentially the same ski that you bought if you're looking back a few years and we don't have the mold that may be a problem but but our we're very proud of our manufacturing process our quality control is bar none the best beautifully made by the dawn that's right <laughs> <laughs> all right then okay as we uh, as we put a, uh, a bow on that on this uh, uh, this this podcast i certainly thank you for being involved with this now i normally give an opportunity for uh, for the uh, for the podcast interviewees to uh, to say thanks and to acknowledge those that have gotten them to this point so mike is all yours sir so you know i have it's been in interesting i would like to thank twbc and the reason i'd like to thank them is if you take a look at how we have exposed our sport the water ski broadcasting company bar none when i talk to people out there they say it is the best thing to come along in you know literally forever yes we were out there you know on wide world of sports and everything else over the years but you're able to produce 
a product that gives people, you know, something to watch. They watch a pass. They get a, you know, they get to watch the replay of that particular pass. You have great color commentary. You do a, you do a tremendous job. <laughs> um, you know, so to that end, I can't tell you the number of people that have an interest interest in the sport and said, "Hey, I watched this event or that event because of the Waterski Broadcasting Company." So, kudos to you guys. You know, there are a lot of people in the sport. You know, that I'd like to thank, but it take forever. But I'd just like to specifically, you know, you know, reach out to Vince and you and, and the guys and and gals uh, for Aliche, you know, uh, that do a tremendous job. Oh, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. But uh, one question I almost missed. Where do you see this sport in five years? Well, you know, again, I think if we can continue to you know move the needle push the boundaries get people interested then we'll continue to grow the sport if we do the same thing over and over again we can't expect different results as the saying goes right definition of insanity there you go (laughs) absolutely all right then that was will bush i'm tony lightfoot this has been the latest edition of the twbc podcast until next time it is ciao for now Thank you for listening to the TWBC podcast. Be sure to check out our website at waterskibroadcasting.com. Links to our presence on major social media platforms can be found there, as well as updates to our webcast and this podcast. Duplication or rebroadcasting of this broadcast without written consent of TWBC is prohibited. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to join us next time for the next edition of the TWBC podcast.